Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss, the best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM, ESPN. How about it? Rolling along Wednesday, February 28, 2024. It's midweek, and welcome into the Gabe Coon Show. I am your host. Former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman on X at G underscore Coon 71. I am Gabe Coon. I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Coon Show. That would be Connor Dunning on X at C Dunning 929. Connor, what's the word, man? How are you? What's up, man? Yeah. A tough day. It is a tough, tough day. day. We have Richard Lewis. This is what we, Connor and I, you know, we do our pre-show meeting and we talk with each other and we're conversating in the news of Richard Lewis, uh, comedian, 76 years old, uh, most notably for, for our generation on Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David as his best friend. And they were best friends in real life. He's passed away. 76 years of age after a long battle with Parkinson's. Man, it, 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 it had been going this way for a while. Like, this, he was struggling with his health for a long, long time. But it's tough to see, man. It's tough to see. I mean, just two weeks ago, two weeks ago, he gives just like one of the many absolute gems that you see on Curb Your Enthusiasm and the conversations that Larry David and him have. Um, but you know what? We have we have two and a half hours to talk on the way courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN and yours truly. I'm going to play that clip in just a moment because I want to have a little fun and then sort of talk and remember Richard Lewis here in just a moment. But we have a loaded show in two and a half hours because here in just a moment at about 4.15, you know, we have to change around the schedule. Usually we do overreaction, not an overreaction off the top. We're going to do that at the bottom of the hour instead. Because Peter King, man, absolute legend of the game after 44 years of covering the NFL, is going to step back. He's going to step back. And he's given us some time. He's given us some time. We know about his his Monday morning column during the football season, Monday morning quarterback. He's been with NBC Sports, uh, I believe, the past seven years or so. Um, But this is a guy who always has seemingly tried to put other young journalists on. Um, he always had the best reporting, the stories he's been able to tell through the years of all the coaches he covered, notably Bill Parcells, John Madden, uh, talking about quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Pat Mahomes. He's, he's covered it all. He's covered it all. So he'll join here in just a few moments. I know people are looking forward to that. Um, as far as guests are concerned, outside of him, we have Jeff Calkins at 5 o'clock from the Daily Memphian and the Jeff Calkins Show. And then 6 o'clock, before we pass you off to the Grizzlies on the road against the Timberwolves, they are 12-and-a-half uh, point dogs tonight. 
after that nasty loss they took at the hands of the Brooklyn Nets at home the other night. Um, but before we pass you off to uh, to the pregame show at 6.30 and then the tip at 7, DeMichael Cole will join from the Commercial Appeal to talk about the Grizzlies, what they need, what we have to look forward to, what they need to do with that pick coming up here um, in the NBA draft this offseason. So we'll talk to him at 6 before we pass you off. Now, um, Richard Lewis dying at 76. Something I didn't really expect. I, I broke the news to you when you walked into the studio you, today, you man. You just looked at me and said, have you I, seen I, it? And I was like, Straight oh, no. face, damn, man. I was it's like, oh, brutal. no, what what haven't I seen? And then you just said Richard Lewis, and I went, damn. Because you knew I knew exactly yeah. what it was as soon as you said it. Yeah, but, I mean, we're, we're, we're right now four episodes into the final season of Curb, man, and they gave us a gym. They gave us a gym just two weeks ago. Um, this, I mean, if you've been watching it, watching along, this was this is one of the one of the best uh, sort of back and forth we've seen from Larry David and, and Richard Lewis. And now it, it definitely seems a little different, um, considering Richard Lewis has passed away at seventy six. I did Wordle again today. I'm a Wordle wizard, man. I did it in three tries. That's three really? days in a row, man. Wow, you're really on a good streak. I'm on a huge streak. That's right. All right, let's see if I can continue my streak. I know, you've been unbelievable. What is this all about? How are you doing this? You know why? I sat on a bench this morning and overheard a lesson. I've had thousands of hours of lessons. Two minutes on that bench, this guy changed my life. What kind of tips? Vertical drop. Yeah. Horizontal tug. (laughs) Horizontal tug? (laughs) Vertical drop. Horizontal tug. Now, I've dropped before, but I've never tugged. And now I'm tugging. Maybe I should tug. You gotta tug. Can you teach me how to tug? I'll teach you how to tug. This is fantastic. Can I tell you something? Sure. I think this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. I don't even know who I'm looking at right now. How is something good happening to me? No one on the planet would believe that you're happy. How is this possible? Well, I have better news for you. I'm leaving you in my will. I'm tweaking it, and you're in it. No, no, no. Don't don't do that. It's done. You're in. I don't want to be in it. I have money. I don't need it. Give it to someone who needs it. When I die, I want you to know how much I care about. You. I'm not going to keep it. I'm going to give it to charity. You're my best friend. You're getting it. No, I'm making a Sherman-esque statement about the will right now. I'm sick of your historical references. If nominated, I will not run. If bequeathed, I will not accept. Well, I'm bequeathing. Well, I'm not accepting. <laughs> well, you'll have to accept. Don't give it to me. Don't hurt my feelings. I'm not going to keep a penny of it. You're hurting me. Thank you, but I don't want it. I'm giving it to you anyway, pal. Oh, my God. It, it always is kind of striking, though, too. Like, down the stretch of Curb, like, watching their back and forth, there was a lot of references to Richard's death. Like, it really was that way. Like, um, and, and they made year, jokes man. out of it. They yeah. made jokes out of it constantly. There was a question at one point where Larry David's like, when are you going to die? When are you going to die? Right, I'm waiting for that season. Yeah. Yes, but, like, uh, I, I, the Larry, Larry David, I, that, that is the first person I really wanted to see a comment from, and he's finally put out a comment. Larry David said, Richard and I were born three days apart in the same hospital, and for most of my life, life he's been uh, like a brother to me he had that rare combination being the funniest person and also the sweetest but today he made me sob and I'll never forgive him for that and that was the end of the quote like I the one thing with their sort of back and forth on curb that you always knew and you didn't really have to be told is that's how they are in real life right Richard is clearly the sweet one the one who's uh, very approachable people like and Larry's kind of the 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 guy who some people like, I definitely like Larry David, but in the end of the day, he's not as approachable. He's a little, uh, he can be a little, uh, you know, stick in the mud at times, but you that always came through. It always felt so genuine. Yeah, it was Richard Lewis was, he was vulnerable. He brought vulnerability to the show and he was a heightened version of himself, but you know, outside of Curb, just a comedic legend. Yes, 100%. literally a comedic legend. You see comedians from Albert Brooks to Sam Morrell today putting out messages about how much he meant to the comedy scene and how great it is that he had this renaissance 
on Curb because it brought him to a younger audience like the two of us. I mean, he's one of our favorite characters on Curb, yep. and watching the rest of the season is going to be a bit tougher now. And it is, you know, it it's 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 just bittersweet having to turn on Curb now for the rest of this year because he just put out a tweet a couple days ago about how it's the last bout of Ali versus Frazier and yes. you know him versus Larry. So. Um, it's a big loss in entertainment, and he seems like one of those guys that just has 100% approval rating across the yeah, board. Yeah, 100%. 100%. If anybody said a false word about Richard Lewis around me, yeah, it's on site. Yeah, you say, you say punch sight. in the throat. You're, you're, you're a throat puncher. Throat That's puncher. What you, yeah. I go, th- go for the throat. Yes, but but Richard Lewis passes away at 76 after battling Parkinson's all this time, and he had been, you know, for years sort of struggling with his health, but rest in peace. It's bequeathed. Rest in peace to Richard Lewis. Definitely going to be sorely missed, but I, I think that you'll you'll get to see the swan song, the the sort of end here with Curb and and people that enjoy that show. Make sure you tune in for the rest of the season because I, I certainly mean something. It'll mean something to me. It means something to me. Now let's go ahead and grab a break. It's an early break. I understand that, but it's not every day you have a chance to talk to an absolute legend of the game, a guy who's been covering the NFL for forty four years at this point, Peter King. He, he just announced that he's going to step away and retire from covering the NFL every single day, but he's given us a little bit of time. So I'm going to use that little bit of time. We'll be back with Peter King on the other side. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Rolling on the Gabe Coons on 92.9 FM ESPN. It's not every day we get to talk to an absolute legend of the game. 44 years, whether it's Cincinnati Inquirer, Newsday, SI, working for NBC for the last few here. Monday morning quarterback was always a staple that you that you had to read every Monday morning growing up if you followed the NFL. But we bring on uh, Odyssey NFL insider Peter King, who has announced his retirement um, just earlier this week. He is on X at Peter underscore King. Peter, how's it going, man? Hey, everything's good. Thanks a lot for having me. It's been, uh, been 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 quite a week. Yes, uh, is your phone physically heavier from all the the farewell messages <laughs> and the congrats? Yeah, it's weird. Somebody said to me, "So who's the most who's the most who's the person you heard from that surprised you the most?" And I said, "This was about three hours ago." I said, "I I have gotten through about half of my." Phone messages slash texts slash emails. Right. So I I'm sure there are some in there that will surprise me. But the fact is, you know, Tuesday I tried to not deal with it all that much. I had a lot of media I had to do on Tuesday, and I just figured when it settles down a little bit, I'll sit down and I'll read everything. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. No, I know you laid this out um, with your with your piece on NBC Sports, but what what told you it was time? What 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 were the main things that told you, hey, it's time to step back from this thing? I know you have not closed the door on on certain media things. You talked about um, within it, you know, uh, you heard somebody basically say, you know, what are you going to do when you get bored? Um, and you're basically uh, going by the thought process of, I, I want to know what I will do when I get bored. Yeah, I want to have the exactly. opportunity and show myself that opportunity. But what what told you it was time? Yeah, I mean, I'm 66 years old. My father and my two brothers were all dead by 64. The three people I've probably been closest to in this business over the years, Will McDonough, uh, Paul Zimmerman, and Don Banks, all either died on the job or as a result of doing the job. Um, And that 
hit home to me quite a bit and the fact that I really have been selfish a lot in my career. I've missed a lot. When you do this job and you're away almost every weekend while your kids are growing up, look, that's the price you pay. If you don't want to do it, don't do the job. I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm at risk if I keep going the way I've been going that I missed a lot with my kids. I'm going to miss with my three grandchildren, too. And I just said I thought it was enough. I think the one other thing that happened to me is that I realized, even though I love doing the job and, like, you know, the last two columns I did before my farewell column on Monday, I rode to work with Kyle Shanahan and spent 80 minutes with him uh, during the off week when he was preparing for the Super Bowl. And then, you know, I was with Andy Reid in his office for 10 minutes and had him explain the winning play, Tom and Jerry, uh, in this Super Bowl, the pass to McCole Hardman. And, you know, so, you know, I, I, I wanted to make absolutely unequivocally sure that I wasn't mailing it in at the end. And, and I just kind of felt t- sort of at the end, I have very, very little interest in the scouting combine. I used to love it. Right. And I have very little interest in coaching searches. I used to love that. And you realize that if you have very little interest in lifeblood things in the NFL, that it's time to go. And so I knew it was time to go. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you mentioned you're 66. You talk about selfish. I'm going to be selfish for a second. You're 66. You're talking to 28 right now, 28 years old. <laughs> when, when you talk about your career and what made you successful and, and sort of what, what, what the lessons are that you learned along the way, like what can, what can you sort of share, like whether with young journalists, with me, about what helped you along the way? I used to think that the most important part of my year was the month that I tried to go to about 20 NFL training camps every year. Why was that important? Because during the season, everything is so regimented uh, with the teams. If you go in there and try to write a story and everybody is so busy and you don't really get legitimate time. In order to spend 45 minutes with Andy Reid, you've got to go to St. Joseph, Missouri in the first week of August. So that's how I really established a lot of relationships. Every year, I used to go on this long training camp tour, and that's one of the things I mean about, you know, you make the family sacrifices. Hey, see you in a month. I mean, that's not easy when your kids are eight and five years old, which they were at one point. So I think that's one thing. I think the second thing that is vitally important is that if you have something bad to say about a team, a player, or whatever, either show your face or text somebody and say, hey, listen, this is what I wrote, and I know you'd probably be upset about it, but I'm around if you want to talk. So you have to be responsible, and I think those things – are fairly important in this business in almost any aspect of journalism. Show up and be responsible and show your face when when you're critical of somebody. Yeah, something I, I, I notice with, with your work and how you operate is like you see a lot of guys as they grow older in their in their sports writing days, when in their journalism days, you see them get jaded to a certain certain extent and and that's something i never saw from you i don't think anybody ever sort of felt that how how did you how did you keep from doing that because i know you know what i'm talking about there's a lot of guys that sort of take these things i know exactly what you're talking about take these things for granted and it feels like you never did it's a bunch of people in a lot of ways who get older and they start thinking 
of they start acting kind of like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino. <laughs> I mean, if anybody saw that movie, they know. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Oh, that he's an old man who's mad at the world. And for whatever reason, a lot of people, sometimes they get mad at the world and they carry that over into their job. I would be the dumbest person in the history of this job, if 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 like uh, you know the week before the Super Bowl, if I get in a car with Kyle Shanahan and I talk to him about his hopes and dreams and about not being able to win the big one, about Brock Purdy, about all that stuff, are you kidding me? Everybody in our business wants to do that. I'd be an idiot if I would be bitter that. You know, an hour and 20 minutes after the Super Bowl, I'm alone in Andy Reid's office with my videographer, and he's explaining Tom and Jerry, which was the winning play in, in right. the Super Bowl. And so, I mean, how, how can you be bitter and unhappy about those moments? I can't be. And so I always thought to myself, I have the job that I've always wanted to do. And, you know, if you're bitter about that, you know, you, you need to retire. Luckily, I never got bitter about it. I loved every day I was in the job. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, too. You see uh, with some journalists, it's not – they don't make the effort to put other young journalists on. But, I, you know, you've yeah. seen this week Ross Tucker talk about it. I have a buddy named Tashawn Reed that you're familiar with, and I know I you've helped Deshaun him. Reed. I know you've helped him in his career. Like, what, what – what sort of made you feel as if you needed to give back to the younger journalists throughout your I'll tell you, routine? I'll tell you exactly, and I'm really, really glad you asked me that question because I look back at my first, say, 25 years in this business, and I'm not all that proud of what I did because I was working for Sports Illustrated. There was a lot of pressure on me to write things that nobody else wrote, so I would go to a game on Sunday and I'd look around the press box, and there might be 250 media people in there at a big game. And I'd look around, and I would say, I want to kick everybody's rear end in this place. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to share. I didn't want to help. I just wanted to be the best. I wanted to dominate the beat. And it got to me, it, 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 it got to about 10, 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, where I started to say, you know, don't be a turd, really. Stop being a jerk. You need to share what you know, and you need to leave people who you like and respect with some help. You need to help them. You need to give them your advice. So like the last three Super Bowls, you know what is the most 
fun thing I've done at the Super Bowl. Literally, the most fun thing I did. Midweek, I've had a, I've had a, a dinner and just invited a bunch of young writers. Some of them I didn't even know, but people who I was impressed with. And we had sixty, we had seventeen people at our dinner this year in Vegas at the Super Bowl. And I said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go around the table, and everyone here is going to talk about something that they learned in this last year, this last calendar year, that is going to help everybody at the table do their job better. Mm-hmm. And I wish I did this for the last 20 years, right. not the last three years. And so that's I, – I, I think – that the one thing that I that I really loved over the last ten years is how much interaction and how much I've gotten to know a lot of these young writers and I and I'll tell you, there's some fantastic talent on the way that people are gonna be reading over the next few years. And not only reading but but watching, you know, either NFL network, ESPN, whatever, but I, I I really like doing that. In honor of that, name a few names. I want to hear a few names. of uh, Give okay, my listeners a couple of guys. Solak. He's, 20, he's right. 26 years old. He works at The Ringer, and he's got a column every Monday. And I started to read it, and I say, holy crap. This guy is a better writer than me, and he's 26 years old. He went to the University of Chicago. No idea he was ever going to be a football writer. And now he's one of the best young ones. Kaylin Kaler at The Athletic. I think she's 30. She used to work for me at the MMQB at Sports Illustrated. She is a tough character. She's not going to take any crap from anybody. And then uh, one other one I really have gotten to like a lot is Jordan Rodriguez at The Athletic. Mm -hmm. She did an incredible podcast series on the new coaches who are influencing the NFL, like McVay and Shanahan and, and LaFleur. And those are three who <clears throat> you you need to get to know, get to learn, and follow over the next few years because they're going to be great. Yep. Now, Monday morning quarterback, what do you think made it so successful through the years? What What are the things? <clears throat> because, because I started doing that column in 1997 when nobody had any idea what the Internet was or what the future of it was. And within five or six or seven years, all of a sudden, at Sports Illustrated, that was getting a better reaction than what I would write in the magazine. And so, you know, I think it's because I took pride in it. I wanted it to be great. I wanted, If I was going to do something, I barely knew what the Internet was. I didn't even have an email address right. in 1997. I didn't know anything about this stuff. But if I was going to do it, I wanted to do something that would make everybody go read it. And after a while, a lot of people would want to go read that on Monday. So I was just fortunate that I accepted the web maybe a little earlier than other people did. Yeah, and it's about being malleable. And was that transition tough, though? That's that's the real question. No. Not no, at all? Not at all, because one of my best friends, my pro football editor, took over the website, and he needed help. And so I love this guy. His name was Steve Robinson. So I said, hey, I'll help you. And it's just, I hate to say it because it sounds so corny. It's like being a team player. Right. There was a guy at my company who needed me. I love doing it anyway. I would have done it probably even if it was an enemy who asked me. But I, 
I love doing it, and it became an awful lot of fun. Yeah. Now, you held posts there at SI for a long, long time, 1989 to, to 2018. What, what do you think about you know the direction it's gone and, and where we're at with Sports Illustrated? Still some very talented I mean, writers there, but definitely needs, tough. It, SI needs a sugar daddy right now <laughs> and in a hurry because you know it's, it's a grim scene over there, and a lot of my friends who still work there, I feel for them a lot because they have no idea from one day to another if they're going to be bought by somebody, if they're going to still have their job or whatever. And so it's difficult. It's really difficult, and I'm sad for it. But in some ways, you know, it's just time marching on. It's like, geez, Peter, you're not working anymore. Hey, look, time marches on. It, it, it comes, it, end times come for us all. Mm-hmm. And if you don't think so, just keep working and keep get, getting overtaken by the new kids on the block, which is starting to happen with me. And you know what? I kind of like it yep. um, because I know it's their time and they'll do great. Yeah. Now talking with Peter King, now I know how hard this is after 44 years to just like, uh, you know, nail down one story that you covered or one situation you were a part of. But what, what was your favorite story to cover through all your years? I know that there's probably several the most, at the time. I think the one that I look back on with the most pride is uh, in 2013, I did a story for SI and the MMQB called A Week in the Life of an Officiating Crew. Mm-hmm. Look, officiating crews, it's like being behind, uh, being in the Kremlin. Nobody has any idea what happens with those guys. But they allowed me to spend a week with Gene Steratore's officiating crew. And it was utterly fantastic. I was with Gene Steratore, who now obviously is on CBS, in his house when the grades came in from the previous Sunday's game. This was Tuesday, about 10 o'clock in the morning. And he made two errors in the game on Sunday. Uh, and, uh, you know, he closes up the, uh, the program, you know, on his computer, gets up starts walking through his house, and he just mutters, there goes the Super Bowl. Right. And I saw the real drama of what it's like to be on an officiating crew. One, the back judge, Dino Paganelli, was a social studies teacher at a high school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I sat in on his classes one day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, just I saw the real world of NFL officials, and then I was with him at Soldier Field in Chicago for their game uh, that that weekend. So, so look, I, I love that one. I love the – I took a bus ride across the country in 1990 right. with John Madden, uh, which was, you know, one of my all-time favorites. But, look, I, yeah, I've been so fortunate to do so many good, fun, informative stories that – I think will live on, and you know I'm pretty proud of. How were the bells and whistles on the Madden bus? By the way, was it 55 hours, 3,000 miles you covered. What was it well, like in that bus? Well, the back 40 percent of the bus is John Madden's bedroom, <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that guy could sleep like a horse. He, I mean, I'm serious. He could sleep for like 10 hours in a row on a bus. I couldn't believe it, and he kept telling me, he goes, "Listen." If you can't sleep, this thing is not going to work. You're just not going to be able to do it because if you're always tired and you're, you're falling asleep during the day, then you, there's no way you can travel. But he said, I sleep better on the bus than I do in my bedroom, either in he had homes in Manhattan and in, uh, in the Bay Area of California. So, 
that was that was pretty that was a treat quite yeah. honestly it was fun yeah now i got you for about a minute and a half and i have to ask you about something right this second we have the yeah. caleb williams justin fields thing going on right now um will they draft caleb williams at one will they trade that pick will they trade justin fields where where how should we feel about that at this particular yeah. moment well, I I don't know what they were going to do. A year ago, I sat in the uh, in the suite with Ryan Poles, the general manager of the uh, of the Bears, and we had a lot of good, really good discussions, forty five minutes or an hour. And I had a good idea that they were going to look for the best offer for the number one pick in the draft, and they ended up getting a pretty good offer for it. And so. Uh, in my opinion, I think they ought to keep Justin Fields, trade the pick, and build the foundation of the next great NFL team. And and I just really question whether they're going to do that. Right. I think I think they might trade Fields, um, you know, for something, and then draft Caleb Williams. And again, look, I'm very open with this. I don't know Caleb Williams very well. I've seen him play two football games in my life, so I can't tell you whether he's going to be great or whether he's going to be Ryan Leaf. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I do think that a bird in the hand of having eight or nine picks in the top two rounds of the next two drafts to build a generational football team uh, with, I think, a good quarterback, not a great one in Justin Fields, but a good one, I think that team could win a lot. You look at teams over the course of time. Look at the Giants in the 80s and early 90s. Phil Simms, not a Hall of Fame quarterback, but good enough. And and at his peak, very good, quite honestly. They won two Super Bowls. Look look at Washington teams of the 80s and early 90s. They won three Super Bowls with a bunch of Stan Humphreys at quarterback. So I would rather have a great team with a B or B minus quarterback than risk uh, having because nobody really knows what Caleb right. Williams is going to be. You can say whatever you want, and it looks like he's a great prospect, but there's just no guarantee. No question about it. Well, Peter, you're so uh, tremendous with your time. I appreciate it. Congrats on 44 great years. Looking forward to see more, seeing more of you though as years go along. <laughs> Thank- Thanks so much. Appreciate you. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. That is Peter King, tremendous sports writer for 44 years, from 1989 to 2018, uh, right there with Sports Illustrated. Monday morning quarterback, everybody knows about it and just enjoys that column. But he is Odyssey NFL insider Peter King. He is on X at Peter underscore King. One thing that I really want to latch on to, though, Connor, is because we've had conversations about this, and and I'm glad sort of, uh, you know, Peter talked about it this way and was was willing to discuss it with me is, you know, you see guys as they get older, uh, when they've been at the top of the mountain they tend to get jaded they tend to get in these positions that's one thing peter never seemed to do i you know all the stories from a lot of the people that i talk to he's always there to help young writers along and that is just not common in this industry it's just not it doesn't happen yeah you you love to hear it because you know i know when both of us were coming out uh, we reached out to people and we were lucky enough for them to help us along. So him doing that for young journalists and giving advice and, and keeping it realistic for what the lifestyle is going to be like is tremendous. And it really helps young people come along and jump into this industry because it's not an easy industry to jump into. So having somebody at the very tip top of the mountain, like lay a path for them is huge. 
Yeah, 100%. But I'm glad he gave us a little bit of time. But he has uh, decided he's going to retire. That's Peter King, sports writer for 44 years. Sports Illustrated, 89 to 2018, three-time National Sports Writer of the Year. I'm blessed, blessed today to be able to bring Peter on to the show. Now, we need to go ahead and grab a break because usually we start Wednesday by getting to overreaction, not an overreaction. But things happen. You don't have a chance to talk to somebody like Peter King every day. So we'll get to overreaction, not an overreaction, coming out of this next break. Guests appear on the Smile Center hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Can't tell you how much I appreciate Peter King for hopping on on his retirement week. I know that's it's really tough, and he's doing the media rounds, but for him to carve out a little bit of time for our little old show, I definitely uh, appreciate him for that. But the reason we had to delay overreaction, not an overreaction, because we had him. Now, we can go ahead and hop into it. Let's do it. Now, it's overreaction or not an overreaction. We are to Crazy. Chill, homie. On the Gabe Coon Show from 92.9. All right, Gabe Coon. ESPN wrote a story this week about the NBA and their offensive surge. League-wide offensive ratings have boosted from around 105 to 115 since 2015, and the NBA is monitoring and will decide this offseason if things need to change. So my question to you, the NBA needs to make some changes to limit the offensive output we see night to night. Overreaction or not an overreaction? Now, here's what I'll say. Um, I think that offense does help at times ratings, but I think we've seen way too much of a flip. I'm going to say not an overreaction. Um, What we see, the lack of hand-checking, guys being able to just get to the rim at will, the amount of fouls that can be drawn, you know, the James Hardens, the Trey Youngs, all these guys, like it just becomes tough to watch night to night when you're getting to the free throw line 17, 18, 19, 20 times a game. And I completely understand that. Um, I want to start with the reasons I don't necessarily think it will change that drastically. And the reason, the main reason I don't think any change will change that much, you know, what we see night to night, is the fact that we have freaks in the NBA right now. I, I mean, I, I don't know how to lay it. We have Luka, who's six foot eight, who can handle the ball without turning it over a whole bunch, who can knock down a three from outside when he's matched up against guys that are 6'3 and 6'4. He can get to the rim. He can dunk. You have Jokic, who's standing up there at seven foot, who moves slow. Um, he can pace the game. Joel Embiid's a freak. Giannis is, is ridiculous. The guy, if you put him in a 40 and, and put him in football pads, he'd probably run like a 4'6". And he can just go down and, and at seven foot, go straight into the paint, dunk over anybody. Um, I mean, and, and I haven't even mentioned the biggest freak of all. That would be Victor Wimbanyama, who we've seen this year. Just ridiculous on the defensive end. And then on the offensive end, he can step out at seven foot four and knock down a transition three. So I still think the offensive numbers are going to be astronomically high because we have more talent in the league than we've ever had. So I want to start there. Now, things that we could do to make it a little bit more watchable. That's a different discussion. I think the defensive three-second is where I would start. I think it's kind of interesting eh, when you look at college and, and some of the defensive outputs or offensive outputs, I should say, um, at the college level. The reason you see it not being 100 points per game scored on either side, yeah, they play a shorter game, but at the same time, you have guys packing the paint consistently, and they're able to stop guys from getting straight to the rim at will 
all of the time. I think that's one of the changes that's very, very interesting to me. I don't know if you completely change that um, or if you just, uh, you know, make it a longer time. You can hang out in the paint five seconds, whatever it is. But I think that's a change I'd look at. And then also I think that uh, guys on the perimeter, with how shifty some of these guys are, uh, on the perimeter and how good they are with their dribble moves, I think you should be able to use your hands at least a tad bit more. Now, I think it's overplayed constantly. I think it's 03-04 when they talked about hand-checking being a o- almost automatic foul. Now, even after that, we saw some some good defensive teams. We could talk about the, the Grit and Grind Grizzlies, the Spurs, the Pistons. They still were great defensively, even though they had a lack of, of use of hand-checking. But I think it's overplayed the 90s, how much they talked about, oh, hand-checking was super uh, available. You still couldn't stiff arm guys out there playing defense, um, but I think they need to allow a little bit more of the the scratching and clawing out there, the the taps uh, that don't just immediately make a ref throw his arm in the air and call a foul. So those are the two changes I'd look at. Um, I still think in the end of the day, these guys um, are, are way too talented. We have too many freaks in the NBA right now, especially on the offensive end. That I think the the offensive numbers will still be up. But I, I think you could do some things to just make it more watchable, and we don't have to just watch a free throw game back and forth. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that you touched on was, at the end of the day, the talent is just the best it's ever been in the NBA, and the level of conditioning that these guys has have allows the pace of play just to be so much faster than it used to be. Um, it's interesting when you go back and look at it, because the 84-85 season, which, you know, 84 draft, pretty big draft, you go back and look yep. at it, um, set the NBA record for points per game, 110.8 points per game. So they were still high scoring in the 80s and 90s. It's just the NBA stepped in and allowed some defensive rules to come in that allowed the defenses to lock up a little bit more. And I think what you're seeing now is the number one thing I agree with that you said, ultimately it's going to come down to They've got to let defenses play defense yes. now. There's far too many free throws. The game is stopping way too much. We briefly talked about it yesterday. The NBA has a refereeing problem right now. They're way too whistle happy. Every every inch of contact that happens gets a whistle. They're allowing flops to trick them. I'm, I'm just overseeing free throw contests. We never need to see a guy taking 25 through free throws a game, and it happens constantly now. When you go back and you look at all of these high-scoring games we've had recently, well, a lot of it's because they're getting to the free throw line 20 times or 25 times. So we've got to cut down on the foul calls, and I think it'll see you know the points per game come down a little bit. But ultimately, it's one of those issues where I don't know if there's a solution to right. it because I do think the biggest thing about it is that NBA offenses have just become so efficient at getting the ball in the hoop. The three-point line has really stepped up. I don't agree with the idea that they need to change the three-point line and get rid of the corner threes. Yeah, I think that's a quite ridiculous idea to have. Um, but changing the you know, the second rule in the paint I think is certainly going to help. Just give the defenses a little bit more freedom. Allow them to be slightly more physical than they are right now. I'm just overseeing an offensive player initiate contact and getting the foul. Yes. That call has got to go away. Yes, and they tried to nip that in the butt a couple of years ago, the James Harden rules, the Trey Young It didn't rules. work. But here's <laughs> the thing. That's the other part of this is even if you try to take things away from those particular guys, Trey Young, Joel Embiid, J- James Harden, they will find ways around the rules to make sure that they can get foul calls and get to the line. They are crafty, and they understand what they need to do to be able to get those calls. Um, I also think it's funny. I, I, Aaron Gordon is one of the guys who stepped up, and, and obviously with the Nuggets, uh, won a championship last year. I get all that. Um, but he stepped up, and he said, well, here's the end of the day. Defense is just – we need to st- defenders need to stop complaining and just play defense. 
What I'd say to Aaron is, you know, we talk about guys being traffic cones all the time and, oh, they get sped by all the time. They're just not good enough defensively. They're not good enough laterally. Have you seen John Morant's first step? Have you seen De'Aaron Fox's first step? Have you seen Kyrie Irving's first step? Have you seen Giannis Antetokounmpo's first step out there from the perimeter? Everyone's a traffic cone in those particular situations. You need to be able to be a little more physical with those guys if you want to be able to play some defense, and they're not allowed that right this second. So, uh, again, it has to do with, uh, you know, defenders on the perimeter being able to use their hands a little bit more, and then we'll 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 visit. I think we should visit uh, the defensive three-second call. It was really interesting to see what Drew Holiday had to say, though, and it's a mindset rather than a total rule change, and this is actually what I think they might need to start telling the refs. Just ref every single game like it's a playoff game. Because in the playoffs, it looks much better, the scores are much lower, and it's because the games are so damn physical. It's like football They hold their whistle. They hold the whistle. Do that in regular season games. Just allow the defenses to play defense for everything that's holy. That's all we want to see. We don't want to see games that are 85 to 86 anymore. We still want to see games get over that 100 mark, but just allow the guys to touch the offensive player without freaking out and calling a foul every single time. All right, moving on. There are several reports about the Titans and Derrick Henry. The reports all come back to one thing. The Titans have not closed the door on bringing back Derrick Henry. The Titans should give serious thought to bringing Derrick Henry back. Overreaction or not an overreaction? Severe overreaction to me. Um, they need to They need to move on, man. They need to move on. Um, you have you have uh, old Brian Callahan taking over at a, a head coach. You just have to move into a different direction. You have to uh, you know worry about Will Levis's development. If he doesn't work out, you have to find a quarterback. You have to do other things besides worry about the running back position. You're not going to be able to throw it back to what they were doing with Arthur Smith. Taylor Lewan is out of the league. Uh, you know Nate Davis is elsewhere. You just have a bunch of different guys that that made that whole thing successful that aren't there anymore. And Derrick Henry is one of the last remaining guys. You just need to move in a different direction. That's my opinion. Now, the one thing that could change this is if Derrick Henry says, oh, I want to be in Nashville. I want to bring a championship to the Titans, which I don't even think is possible, even if it's just Derrick Henry staying for a few years. Um, But if he said that, and I want to be in Nashville, and I'll take a pay cut, and I'll take three, four million dollars a year, Okay, you I, you could talk me into that, but I don't want that for Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is on the wrong side of 30 at this point. He's going to be 30 going into next year. And it, we know with running backs how much tread he has on the tires. The guy led the, the past five years, he led uh, the uh, league in rushing attempts four times out of the past five years. So this is a guy who just has a lot of tread on the tires. I want to see him get into a contending situation, potentially win a championship. He's been a really good team player, good company man for the Titans for years. I want better for th- for him at this particular moment. And better for him is getting some decent money, somewhere around that tag number for a couple more years, which is 12.1 for those that don't know, $12.1 million per year. I want to see him get that type of money, get dropped into a situation like the Ravens or something like that where he can go potentially win a championship and move on. I know that the you know the, he's a free agent, so it's a bit different, but it reminds me of the feeling I had with Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol their last year as a Grizzly. Right. I you, think that's a good you, one. The, the nostalgia wants you to keep him on the team. It would be amazing to see Derrick Henry back in a Titans uniform and make you feel, feel all warm inside. But at the end of the day, it is time for him to move on from the Titans and it's time for the Titans to move on. It's better for both parties. And I want to see Derrick Henry go get that ring. He has had one of the best careers you could have as an NFL running back, and one of the things he is missing is that ring. So drop him into a situation where he can immediately 
help a team, go get a ring, have some playoff success. That is what I want to see for Derrick Henry. I absolutely love him as a player, loved him as a Titan. He will mean the world to that franchise forever. He is, you could argue, the best running back they have ever had next to Eddie George. But it is time for him to go get his ring. So I think it's best for the Titans and Derrick Henry for them to move on. And, and like, what's the best that could happen the next few years if they were to sign him for you know the rest of his career? Best that could happen is ten and seven, capturing that last uh, wild card spot, and then not being a actual threat in the playoffs. <laughs> and then losing I don't to Patrick want, Mahomes. Exactly. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't want that for Derrick Henry. Drop him in on the Ravens, and maybe that could be a very very fun running style offense. They hired Greg Roman as the OC. Could you imagine him scheming up that offense and that running uh, or? I'm sorry. He's he's with the Chargers. I apologize for that. But getting back to that Greg Roman style deal where you're you're in the pistol set, you're doing some of those read option looks, uh, giving some of those read option looks under Todd Munkin. That would be fun to see Derrick Henry and Lamar Jackson in the same backfield. I, that's sort of the spot that I'm looking at for him to potentially be dragged and dropped to. Right? Like, is is there any others that you're looking at? Maybe the Dolphins. Is is one you could pay, potentially look at, but Maybe. I I still think that you know considering what they're going to be paying Tua and all likelihood Spot Track. Uh, I think I have I have this written down. Spot Track just uh, sort of put it out there that Tua uh, could be on a four year two hundred twenty million dollar deal. They're going to want to air the ball out to those talented wide receivers and Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. I want I want Derrick Henry to be able to get the ball as much as he wants and be in a winning situation. My top two choices. Number one is the Ravens. I just think he fits the culture there. I think that, you know, it makes a lot of sense with their offense. I would also like to see, I think, you know, no disrespect to our, our man Tony Pollard, but him as a cowboy would be pretty dangerous. Yeah, I think it would. They got yeah. a hell of a line. Yeah, it'd be interesting, though. You still need, as a pass catcher, that's that's what Tony's done really well with, with the Cowboys, being a pass catcher. Garrett's underrated in the pass catching game, though. He's yeah, a bit underrated. But he's not the same style of yeah. back that you just sort of scheme it, into open space, it throw, does... it, throw it out to the flat and let him go cook. It just seems like, though, the past few years in the playoffs, they've just been missing that threat as a running back. Like, I know Tony didn't have a great season, but if you had Derrick Henry back there that you could just give the ball to and, and say, you have hey, the go last, give us five yards. last good few years here with Tyron Smith, their left tackle, their Hall of Fame-style left tackle, Zach Martin. I, I get what you're saying. Get him in between the tackles, be a 1,000-yard rusher, and just be a battering ram for them. Um, and it makes other other defenses respect their running game a little bit more. I completely understand that. But the Ravens, man, the Ravens, it's just hard for me to shake that idea of Lamar Jackson and Derrick Henry and the style of running each of them brings. Lamar's the shifty guy who can make you miss, and Derrick Henry's going to run right through your face. <laughs> that is just so hard. <laughs> to de- lightning, That's baby. just so hard to defend on a down-to-down basis. So we'll see what happens. The play now- actions would drive people crazy. <laughs> oh, 110- 100%. 100%. And I think Todd Munkin did a good job of unlocking Lamar's arm. It was the most passing yards he's ever had in his career this year. So you see that developing if you bring in Derrick Henry as just a absolute dog. I think that it could be it could be really We have nasty. a Hulk. It could be very tough for the rest of the AFC to defend that offense. Now, uh, Derrick Henry may-, may be looking to sell his house here relatively soon. It's it's very possible. Um, he may go through a realtor, but there's other options out there, and I think people need to understand the other options. Um, if you have you heard of the FISBO process? If you're not familiar with the FISBO process, it's FSBO. What does that stand for? It stands for For Sale by Owner, and that's why I need to tell you about Community FISBO. Community FISBO will give you the tools to make yourself your own boss when it comes to selling your home. They have three separate packages that let you take advantage of the next-gen FISBO process. You pick one of those packages, and they will handle everything up to fielding offers. And that would be professional photography, interactive 3D walkthrough, 
uh, floor plans, room measurements, and of course they will handle the listing. Then you field offers, you get a contract, and you are on your way. And they may even help you with that as well. But the money savings is really what we have to highlight here. Um, using a 2,000 square foot home selling for $350,000 at a 3% realtor listing fee. That 3% realtor listing fee on that $350,000 home would be $10,500. If you pick one of their packages, you could save up to $9,800. So if you're looking to sell your home, looking to Community Fisbo, it's an unreal next-gen process that you are sure to latch on to. Make sure if you want to go check it out, check them out online at communityfisbo.com. That's communityfsbo.com. Or call them at 901-660-FISBO. That's 901-660-3726. Now, Jeff Calkins is scheduled to join on the other side, so let's go ahead and get to that next. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.